0: Hey there, it's Allison. Welcome to another episode of the Allison Interviews Podcast. You know, I have to tell you that as much as I love interviewing people in entertainment, I really am just... Digging, getting to know different YouTubers and social media influencers who I find just from doing different searches on YouTube. I mean, now they have tremendous platforms that go across every social media platform, but I tend to find people on YouTube and I will follow their story for a while and just see if it really resonates with me and see if it's resonating with just millions of other people out there. And Every now and then I find a jewel of a person and I get so excited because I'm like, oh my God, I want to share this person's story. I mean, these people have tremendous platforms, don't get me wrong, but I love just being one piece of being able to amplify their voice and amplify their story. Just so many different issues out there, everything from health, to criminal justice reform, to entertainment and the arts, to mental health. I mean, you get the picture. It's really incredible. I love the learning and the teaching aspect of what I do. This next YouTuber who I'm interviewing today, her name is Jennifer Vaughn, and she is a suburban mom of three living in California. She is just such a rad chick i don't know how else to put it like she's just so cool she's a surfer chick and she's a skateboarder and she's just really chill and laid back but she has such a powerful voice she was a single mom just like me and she happened to fall in love and date somebody who was hiv positive and she didn't know and he didn't know and she did contract hiv and I came across her YouTube channel. I don't even remember like what the circumstances were, but somehow it got into my algorithm. And I watched this video of hers where she talked about her 16 HIV symptoms before she was ever diagnosed. The video was so fascinating and it had, I think, well over a million views at the time. And then I just started watching all of her videos because I was like, wow, you know, she she didn't look and act like the typical prototype. It just... It was so human, it was so powerful. She just had this confidence that emanated from her being. And she really helped to humanize this disease that has really been like the boogeyman, right, in our culture since the 1980s. And I grew up as a kid of the 80s and the 90s. And I just remember being in college and everybody was just so anxiety ridden over this disease because it was a time when you're in college. People want to live their life. They want to experiment. They want to do whatever. And it was just really something that was causing so much anxiety on college campuses. and really everywhere in the world. You know, people thought of it as a death sentence. And it was something that really, really scared people. And I believe that it still does to this day. But getting to know Jennifer, it really helps to reshape the narrative of what HIV is, what it's not, and really what it's become nowadays, which is a manageable chronic illness. And I mean, Let's be honest, who wants a chronic illness, right? Nobody. But so, so many people in our population, whether it's heart disease, whether it's diabetes, whether it's cancer, whether it's lupus, thyroid issues. I mean, like I can go on and on and on and I can go into a whole dissertation on diet and exercise and mental health, but that's a whole other story. But Jennifer Vaughn is really a living example of how you can live your best life and take something that could possibly really knock you out for the count and instead turn it into this powerful advocacy work. And she really is emerging as the new face of HIV advocacy and education. And it really is incredible to listen to her story and just discuss it with her and hear everything that she has to say. I've been rambling on for so much, so I'm going to go right into Jennifer Vaughn's interview. So this is an in-depth interview with HIV advocate Jennifer Vaughn. Enjoy. I think it was in 2018. So the story with me is that Since I split from my son's father and I've been in the dating world, which I'm sure you can relate to, I've always made a practice of getting an HIV test every year. Typically, if I get a physical or something like that, or like a lot of times if I come out of a relationship or maybe I'm entering into a new relationship, it's just something that I've always done. And it always comes with a little bit of anxiety. And I remember in, I think it was 2018, I had just come out of a situation. And I decided to take a test. And I think I was like Googling and, you know, to calm my nerves, to calm anxiety. And I came across your video. I don't know if it was the video about my 16 HIV symptoms or my HIV AIDS story. I'm not sure which one it was, Uh but I saw it and I was like, wow, because first of all, You were somebody that I looked at and could relate to, you know, you're a mom and I know this may sound controversial to some people who are going to listen to this or read this, but you are a white suburban woman. You know, it's not the typical prototype. When you see images in documentaries, on the news, you were somebody that kind of looked like me in a way and seemed like me. And the interesting thing about it is that, not only could I relate to you, but you calmed my nerves and you made HIV seem human. And not only did you make it seem human, all I saw was this really empowered human being, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's awesome. And then I felt like I kind of released the anxiety and people may not quite get this, but if they watch your videos, they will. I was waiting for my results and I released the anxiety and I thought, whatever it is, it is. And I will live my life and be me no matter what the outcome, you know, and the outcome turned out in my favor. But I realized that the only difference between me and you is that the outcome turned out in my favor. Yeah. If that makes any sense. So with that being said, I want to kind of let you explain to people that don't know about you, how you wound up posting videos on YouTube and going so public with your HIV status and becoming just this incredible advocate for HIV? Well, it
1: wasn't planned, that is for sure. I was diagnosed in February of 2016, the day after Valentine's Day. I'd been very sick, didn't know what was wrong with me. I'd been in a relationship with somebody for a year, and I really thought that I had a parasite in me from the ocean. I was like, that's gotta be what it is. They tested me for lupus and meningitis and a lot of, I don't even know if they can test for cancer. All I know is they took a lot of blood. So I got the diagnosis within three hours. I tested positive for the antibody. Of course they had to ask me if I would be okay for testing for HIV. And when he asked me that, I just was like, I, it just went in one ear and out the other. Yes, of course, test me for everything. I'm sick, like there's something wrong. I'm getting worse. Cause at this point I had night sweats. I had the fever. I had thrush in my mouth, although I didn't even understand that that was thrush and they didn't know it was thrush because I actually had AIDS at that point, but didn't know. And so, yeah, I I had AIDS. I didn't even know it. So I got the diagnosis of the antibody test about three hours later. And of course, this was like being hit in the gut. You're already sick and how to like somehow mentally take this diagnosis in when you're already physically ill was like, it was I didn't even know what to do, but just lay there and be numb. I mean, it was the worst. And then he got off the phone with me and I'm left with no information, nothing, just that I am now testing positive for the antibody. And my boyfriend at the time, he thought, that possibly he had given it to me. And, you know, he tested the next day and he was negative, which says a lot about female transmission because we'd been together for an entire year while I've had this the whole time, never using condoms and he was negative. So it wasn't a surprise to me though, because statistically I've always understood that women get it from bisexual men or men who shared needles for drugs. And I'm not wrong about that. Yeah, And that is controversial too. Like I get a lot of negativity from sometimes gay men Sometimes women who have husbands are HIV positive and they say, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm like, I lived this and I know tons of women who have gone through the same experience now. I know that now. So I move forward with this information, find out about five days later that my CD4 count is under 200 and anything under 200 is considered an AIDS diagnosis. Your CD4 is basically your immune system. So when you're a normal healthy person, it's about 1500, can range anywhere from 800 to 1500 when you don't have an autoimmune disorder. So mine was under 200, mine was 84, which means I'm just more susceptible to opportunistic infections. And I had a viral load of 507,000, which to me just sounded like the most disgusting yeah, I'm, I'm vile. Like, my God, I've got this disgusting virus in me. Like, like, I'm it's just oozing grief.
0: everywhere. And it's just, Head yeah, to toe. yeah, <laughs>
1: like, how am I a wholesome single mother anymore? Like, that's gone. I'm disgusting. Like, clearly, obviously, yeah. I did something wrong to get this, or else it wouldn't be in me. I mean, it was everything I knew about myself until that diagnosis was out the window. It was like, I'm a new person. This is something now I have to go from the Jennifer Vaughn. I used to be to this new person who has this HIV label, which is, I never had expected that at all. So
0: what sucks um, about it so bad too, is that you're sick with, was it PCP pneumonia, which is a classic opportunistic infection that happens when your CD4 T cells drop, was it below 200? So Mm. you're physically sick. You get this sucker punch of a diagnosis. Then you're feeling shame on top of it. You know, I, I can't even, it must've felt like a brick building fell on top of you. Like Absolutely. I can't even imagine. And the relationship with the
1: person, he was living here. We had like a long distance relationship. So he would be here like during the winter for four months at a time. And I just thought, well, I can't even delve into like, what's going to happen with that. He didn't like run away, but I thought when he does leave in March, cause he had another month still here, My mom had to come take care of me and stuff. So I just thought, well, he probably won't come back. You know, all of these things going through my head. Yeah, just about like, am I going to work again? Am I going to die? Do I have five years? My God, my kids, I've got you know, they were young, they were 15, 11 and seven when this happened. And I just thought, what is their future? And I left their dad because he had an alcohol problem. He wasn't going to be able to take care of them. Like, am I going to leave them to my mom? Like, I really didn't know what my future was or my prognosis until I finally saw my doctor. But yeah, they got the blood results back. And I knew that I had um, AIDS at that point. And it was just like, that was another, cause at first it was just an HIV diagnosis. And then five days later, it's yeah. like, you actually have AIDS. Like you're that far along with this virus that it's had all this time to attack your body. It was just mind blowing. Like I had no clue this was in me. All of those, you know, I grew up in the eighties. So now it's like, now I have this common link to all these men who died in the eighties to Pedro Zamora, who I watched faithfully. Yes, Ryan on the White. real world. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Ryan White. And yeah, I'm connected to his mom through Facebook now. I interviewed Judd from the real world. Yes, like all these I listened things to that. Later, but yeah. yeah, it's amazing. But so yeah, so but obviously none of that I knew was going to be in my future. So I'm just living with this new di- you know, realization that I've got this. And so what happened was, is I just, you know, I went on treatment for the pneumonia. They have to treat the opportunistic infection first. They don't even start with your ARV. So it's just, they've got to get that infection under control first. So that's an antibiotic. So there was some, there was a lot of uh, red tape getting the right medication. So I went about probably four days without the right antibiotic, which meant I was not getting better. I was getting worse. So there was moments during that weekend while I was waiting for the correct medication, which is a crazy story, it came from the at home nurse that came to visit me. Basically, it wasn't covered under my insurance. It's called Meprin. And uh, she was working at the county and she said, I have this in my office from a non compliant patient. As soon as I can get into my office, because it's a county office, she couldn't get in there during the weekend, she said, I will run it to your house. And so she brought it to me by 4 p.m. on Monday, but I had gone basically Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday without the right medication. So the Pneumonia. pneumonia was just getting worse and worse. Okay. So finally, when I got that medication, I mean, it was like a switch. I felt a 5% difference. I felt a 7% going in the right direction. So every time I took it every 12 hours, it was like, I couldn't wait to take it again. Cause I was feeling a little bit more better. I mean, I was, you know, when you have the flu and you don't want to get out of bed and you're that sick and just even getting up to go to the bathroom, is difficult? That was my life mm-hmm. for at least three weeks, maybe even four, but so I'm starting to get better. I'm walking my dog maybe after like three weeks of being on the couch. And I'm just thinking, you know, wow, like, this is it. This is who I am now. And I remember walking him and having this realization that I don't know anybody else who has this. When I've looked up videos on YouTube, when I had the uh, the time to look at them, it was people who were really angry, talking about this person gave it to me and why they were so mad at them. And It was mostly I was gay men there was nobody that related to me so what I did first is three weeks after my diagnosis I had written on Facebook I only had about 300 people on Facebook at the time and I decided to I asked my boyfriend at the time I said you know would you mind if I just shared what actually is going on because they knew I had pneumonia but I didn't share what kind because I had I don't know why I posted something on Facebook about that I was really not feeling well and then I kind of just went radio silent so people had written to me and said what are you okay? And then I was like, yeah, I have pneumonia, but I'm like, and I didn't tell the real story. The
0: 300 people that you had on your Facebook, I'm assuming these were like friends, family, acquaintances, friends and family, high school friends. I mean, were you scared? Like, okay, once I post this, all these people I grew up with all these friends, all these family members, like Mm -hmm. everybody's going to know that I'm HIV positive. Mm -hmm. The cat's out of the bag. How did you feel about posting that?
1: Well, I did it right up. So my boyfriend at the time was driving back to Montreal. And I, as soon as he was gone, I think I did it that same day. I wrote it out and I looked at it and I read it and it's been posted again, my whole thing that I wrote. And I put some pictures of like when I was really sick and like pictures of what kind of like what I look now. I explained CD4 counts and viral loads and how I'm doing now. And I want everyone to know that I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to live a long life. And this is what it is today. And I don't think people know this. And so part of me felt like, oh my gosh, okay. I'm going to educate people. I'm also going to shock a lot of people. But I think I told too many people in my life at that point, because I had AIDS and I thought it was so absurd. You know, I told a neighbor, I told all my friends, my whole family knew. So it was like, I thought, well, they all know. And I didn't want people talking about me within the community i work for the school district it's a tight-knit community where i live and i just didn't want people talking behind my back so i thought i'm going to just put it out there and say hey if you have any questions just come to me i'm not afraid to answer questions so i i was shaking before i hit that post, and i sat there on my couch till one in the morning answering people the most amazing supportive comments but of course this is friends and family so yeah so it went really well and then i just as time went on and i got better when i was better mentally uh or physically i felt better mentally I, it just went hand in hand so of as course. i, I thought i was going to be sick i'm like now I, this is like you're being punished and you're going to be sick and that's going to be your new life and the medication's going to be really hard on you and you're going to be sick from that too because this is what you get for having this and you know what happened i wasn't sick mm-hmm. i became normal again and i was like holy moly people don't know
0: this you can come back from having aids and you can actually be okay that's so, what's so I- important that's what's really important that in case people listen to this they watch this they read this that i don't know if it's common knowledge out there that you can actually, the condition can deteriorate to the point where you have an AIDS diagnosis and you can get on the right medication and actually make a full recovery. Totally. Totally. My CD4 count
1: is now 500, which is, it's not, it's, maybe a little bit lower than what a normal range is. My doctor's not worried. I'm never, ever sick, never. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm totally healthy. So she's fine with a 500 and I am undetectable, meaning that 507,000 that was in one little drop of blood of viral particles is now zero. They can't even find it. I'm considered, it says not detected, I look like I don't have HIV is basically Mm -hmm. what it is, but it's called a latent reservoir. It's hidden in some cells where the medication just can't get into, but it's basically dormant. So I can't transmit it sexually. That's a big thing that I talk about in my advocacy. It's called U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable. But back to this story. So about five months went by. And in that time I had molded over, um, a lot of people were starting YouTube channels. I was following a local skater here who was like probably like 19, 20 years old and he was doing YouTube videos. And I was really like fascinated by watching his progression. And, you know, he was showing stuff all around where he lived. And I'm like, I know that area. And I'm like, he had a bunch of followers. And I thought it was so cool. And I just kept thinking, you know, I could do this. I could go on there. And you know what? I might find another woman because I don't know anybody else right now with HIV. It's not like I'm going to have an aunt or my sister. This is not common. I'm the zebra. So I'm thinking there's got to be another woman out there that has this. There's got to be. And also maybe there's one that I can prevent from going through what I went through because they'll get tested sooner and won't turn out with an AIDS diagnosis. That was also mine. And I just wanted everyone to know that you can get this diagnosis and live a totally normal life. So all of those things were in mind and I was fascinated by YouTube. So, and it was the only way to do a 30 minute video. I needed a platform where I could talk for a while. So I, I put that first video out my HIV AIDS story and I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I knew I would stand out because I'm a white woman. And I knew if I put the title, I, I mean, I definitely played with that for sure. I had a picture of myself sick and healthy. I don't know if that was my original thumbnail, but it is now. And, you know, I put it out there. This is my HIV AIDS story. Like this chick has HIV and she had AIDS. Like, and I want you guys to all see what it looks like. I want you to see my face. I want you to understand that I'm not afraid of this. And so I put it out there And man within I don't even know, 10 days. My first female uh, woman with HIV contacted me from South Africa and that blew my mind too. South Africa, like I live in California. I don't know people across the world. And her name's Catherine. She's been interviewed on my podcast and uh, I always call her my first wife. She was very, very ill. She was in the hospital with TB. She had a very low CD4 count. And she had just been diagnosed. And in my podcast, she realized it came from a rape that had happened 13 years prior.
0: So oh my God. she was
1: just now getting the diagnosis. So 13 years, she is pretty sure she had it all that time. Mm-hmm. And you know, she was putting the puzzle pieces together. But anyways, what happened was, is during the next, I'd say probably five months, I ended up with about 15 women from all over. One from Nairobi, one from LA. That was my third one. Brittany Ann, who's been on my video. She's in North Carolina, Every one of them had HIV. None of them knew another woman. And I'm talking to all of them separately. And I'm starting to feel like, my God, these women all need to know each other. They have got like, we all don't know anybody. So I started a support group. I asked them all if they would like to be in this private support group. And uh, they all said, oh my God, yes. And I'll never forget the moment that happened. I was right in this kitchen right over there when I invited everybody. And uh, I get emotional every time I think about it. All started communicating back and forth. And it was like, oh my gosh, Anne is talking to Catherine and Catherine's talking to Lacey. Oh my God. And Brittany Ann's talking. And just to see them, like we all, because we feel so alone in this. It's not, you know, statistically, we're not high on the rankings of who gets HIV Mm -hmm. because it's really physiologically how it's transmitted and who is high risk for it. So yeah, it was an amazing thing to like do that. So now I have about 250 women from all over the place who are- That's amazing.
0: If, are any of them local to you in Northern California? Or, yeah, okay. yeah oh.
1: I met one that was in San Francisco. We met and had coffee. Mm-hmm. There's another one in Pleasant or uh, Petaluma. But like, that's it. Like, there's not somebody right here in Santa Cruz that I know. You know, I mean, it's not that there isn't a woman around here, but maybe they just haven't found me through YouTube. But so yeah, that video put me on the map for sure. And then I did my 16 symptoms only because so many messages were coming in asking about my symptoms. It was nonstop on the comments from my first video. And I thought I need to get all my paperwork from doctor's appointments and really like look at the last two and a half years cause I did find out who it came from. And so it took me about 20 minutes after my diagnosis, honestly, to figure out who it was. Cause I had been with somebody who was high risk who had shared needles for drugs. He had a meth amphetamine problem. He was clean when we were together. He had tested in Long Beach. He was, he did not think he had HIV. Cause we talked about it. Cause we, obviously that's high risk. And anyways, he did have it. And right. you know, we were together for eight months and then we broke up. He had lived here in this house. I actually had to kind of kick him out cause he wasn't working and I'm a single mom. And I was kind of, it was too much. So yeah, we lost contact. What happened was, is he ended up testing about three months after we split and i just interviewed him he's like just interviewed on my youtube channel i did it the interview wednesday night it was very cathartic for both of us but because we haven't had contact too much over the last five years but he was diagnosed in uh, about three months after we split and then you know like three weeks later they asked for names and numbers of anyone he may have exposed and he gave well of course me because i was the most recent And he just, in his mind, you know, and you have to also realize that he still, he went back to drugs after we split. I think that he really, I've always kind of defended him because I know he gave my name and number for whatever reason they didn't call me. And I never got the call. And some people will say, well, you should have been testing anyways. You can't hold him liable. And I never have. I mean, I am responsible for my own sexual health. I should have been testing, but I just didn't think like, you know, you're kind of in denial. I don't know. I just never worried about HIV. So yeah,
0: it sounds like it wasn't really on your radar because Mm -hmm. even when you were describing when you were really sick and they were testing you for a million different things and you're like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Test me for everything. You know, yeah, wasn't on (laughs) my radar at all. It was somebody high risk. I mean, even when he was here, we
1: talked about it. It just didn't seem possible. And when he was diagnosed, something in him felt that it was only within him. He just felt like I am a bad person. I did things that were high risk. I deserve this. And he says in the interview, Jen, I just didn't, it almost, I think he felt like it just couldn't be possible that he could, which sounds naive. And I understand that people will think that that is just irresponsible of him, but I think he was in a psychologically, he was starting to use again. When he got the diagnosis, he totally started using again. And Mm -hmm. his mind was not thinking about who he might've given this to. It was just, you know, you're a selfish addict is what's happening. Yeah, And I think that's kind of where he went and he didn't think about it again. And you know, I think he said, I always kind of thought they contacted you, you tested you, were negative, and you went on with your life. He goes, I never heard from you again. Hmm. I mean, he is somebody who ended up
0: living in his car for a while. He was not, you know. So you would think like logic would dictate like you'd get right. that angry, crazy phone call. Yeah. If that were the case, but I want to back up a little bit because not everybody, kn- I've been following you. So I know about the U equals U. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know if that is common knowledge no. at this point in time. So it's undetectable equals untransmittable, meaning that if your blood work is undetectable, you can no longer transmit the HIV virus through sexual intercourse. Exactly.
1: And, you know, I feel very differently about women transmitting anyways, because I see the same thing as women come to me and they say, I realized who I got it from. And I've had this partner for X amount of years and he's negative. I'm like, I know it's very anyways. I always feel like it kind of applies. It doesn't apply as much to us, but it's still so important to share that. Yeah. What I feel is most important and, and it can really give a clear image is that I'm talking two men together can have anal sex. There can be blood. There can be semen, no condoms, nothing. And they will
0: not transmit it. It's impossible. If the person who's positive is undetectable. Yep, they cannot. Now, has it. your infectious disease doctor said as much? Has your doctor said, yes, the studies show this? And it's funny because
1: I found out about U equals U about 11 months after my diagnosis. Bruce Richmond, who's the founder of the movement, not all the studies, there's five studies that support this finding. And, anyways, somebody contacted me and said, You need to get a hold of Bruce Richmond because my videos were starting to be recognized. And he said, You need to cover this demographic that wouldn't be like gay men. Like, you need to cover this demographic. So we spoke and I was all on board. And he wanted me to do interviews and he was so excited. And I talked to my doctor about it and she was not on board. She said, And this is 2016. She said, you know, everybody is responsible like you and Mm -hmm. not everybody takes their medication like you. She's dealing with a lot of people who are homeless, who are drug addicts. And she said, I don't think it's responsible to share that information with patients because they're not always compliant and then they could transmit And that's one of the arguments about U equals U is this paternalism and not giving this responsibility to the patients. Like everyone with HIV should know this information. It keeps us compliant. It's Mm -hmm. better for our health if we're taking our medication every day. A lot of people, you'd think, you know, this is a manageable condition today. You'd think anybody that would have this would, of course, you're going to take your medication. No, there's people that won't. Because there's so much stigma. They see that pill and they're in denial. They don't want to see the pill. They don't want to have the medication in their house. God forbid somebody knew that they were taking medication. That's because-
0: actually what happened to Charlie Sheen, right? He was dating somebody who saw the medication in his medicine cabinet. Mm-hmm. And that was what kind of spiraled everything out of control. Because then yep. she said, I'm going to go to the press. or You know, yeah.
1: So yeah. So then I, bre- so that's basically my doctor and I do not discuss it anymore. And she okay. even has recently said she knows i'm very involved with the u equals u campaign and i mean i even was in amsterdam 2018 at uh, the aids 2020 in 2018 she had a booth because she was involved <laughs> with a nonprofit in uganda and i was at the u equals u booth i mean it's like i'm wearing the u equals u shirts and i went over and said hi to her. we never talked about u equals u not one time
0: uh, so, so u equals u only applies if The person who is HIV positive is a hundred percent compliant and takes their medication every day. Sure, that's very important.
1: Yeah, very important. I mean, it's not like you're going to become detectable in a day if you miss it. I mean, I miss a day here and there. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like sometimes I get busy and I hit my alarm and I hit stop instead of snooze and I. I'm like at the end of the night, I'm like, Oh, I did miss it, but it doesn't. Yeah. My labs are always the same. Some people take their medication every other day and it's still, we're probably overdoing it by taking it every day. I don't think it's like necessary, but I just do it because there's some people that would do it just during the week and take the weekends off. It's not like my body would feel like, Oh my God, I'm having a big break here. Cause I'm not taking the pills. I don't feel anything from them. So it's I just take them every day. But yeah, it would take a while to become detectable again and to possibly transmit. I know for U equals U, they say that you need to be at a level of 200 and below for a viral load. Mm -hmm. Like I said, my viral load is actually zero. So if you're undetectable, chances are it's just zero. But let's say you have a blip which means for many reasons, I had a blip when I went to Mexico, I ended up getting Montezuma's revenge and I had diarrhea for about a week. And what had happened was, and my viral load went up to 140 and maybe around there, 148, something like that. And my doctor was like, wow, that's weird. Cause he always wonders at the medication. And I said, no, I've had diarrhea. So what we figured out is that I was taking the pill and it was literally just going through my system right. so fast that it wasn't doing anything. So was I infectious during that time? Absolutely not. And during all of the studies, there is not one time where a blip transpired into a transmission, not once. So, you know, and these are, the studies include one person who's HIV positive, who's undetectable and their partner who's negative. It was over 150,000 sexual encounters that were documented and there wasn't one transmission. Of course, blips were there because they happen sometimes. So they know, they can confidently say that a blip would not, turn into a transmission so because a lot of people say that well you don't always know that your medication's working and all of that but I know that number of 200 they say 200 and below is safe but I know because I'm in the know that it's much higher than that this is a very conservative number because our government is supporting you equals you so they're going to say 200 and below but it probably could be as high as 2,000 and it wouldn't do anything and you okay. know Fauci was there in 2018 and I heard him speak I was in the same room with him and he said we always knew back in the 90s or the 80s, that as long as your viral load would decrease, the chances of transmitting also decrease. It right. just went hand in hand because we always knew that, but we needed the studies to support that theory. And they did, they hundred percent did so, but it's a very hard for people who are HIV negative to trust that information it's scary you know right it is it's terrifying i don't know that i'd be all like oh yeah let's try this
0: I'm all on it. board the one yeah it
1: doesn't work on you know so i get that i get the fear and i'm out in the dating world again so i'm getting to feel that firsthand <laughs> So,
0: what happened with your marriage because i remember you guys were interviewed for a documentary you guys yes. documented your wedding and i thought oh my god she's having this happy ending happily ever after yeah. what happened So COVID happened.
1: (laughs) So it was always a long distance relationship. And he went back to Montreal in March of 2020. When that all happened, he needed to get out of here quickly because, you know, everything was closing down. It was like, we needed to make sure that he could get back. And then we were separated for eight months. And so during those eight months, I was unemployed and I was, you know, home with my kids and my animals and I was busy saving feral cats. I was just really this shouldn't even matter, but this was kind of where my life was at the time. And he was home and he was running a business. And I found out in November that there was an affair. And so I tried, he had an affair. So I tried very hard during the winter while he was here from 20 to 2021 to move forward with our relationship. But once he went back to Montreal in March of 2021, just this last March, I just couldn't do it anymore. So it was basically, you know, I couldn't trust anymore. The trust was all gone. And when you're in a long distance relationship at times, you need to have a hundred percent trust and that was broken. So I couldn't, and it was very hard to just, I've never had that happen to me before. So it was very hard to look at this person the same way. The love was not there like it used to be. So yeah, I ended the relationship in May and we are going through an amicable divorce right now. And I'm in the dating world for the first time with this
0: diagnosis, so I just want to also share, so your two highest viewed YouTube videos were my HIV AIDS story and my 16 HIV symptoms, which I think have well over a million combined views. My HIV AIDS
1: story and pictures has almost 4 million. And then my my 16 symptoms, I think is close to 2 million. Yeah. The HIV AIDS story and pictures was my little mini movie that I made myself, which took me five months and he's in it, but- He got a cease and desist order against me. He wanted it taken down after I ended everything with him. Okay. Which is really sad because that video helps so many people to see what HIV is. It's a, you know, it's a movie. I know it's kind of like maybe sort of cheesy, but I have music and I basically showed the journey of when I got the diag kind of what was happening in my life before the diagnosis, what happened when the diagnosis happened and how I came out on the other end with advocacy. I didn't ever expect that. And so the thought that he wanted this taken down was—it was devastating. Short-sighted, he yeah. Knew what this meant to me, and it was a sucker punch. So, thankfully, ironically, somebody who follows me, who lives probably not even five miles from him in Montreal, sweetheart girl, got a hold of me and said, "I think you can edit that video without taking it down." And she goes, "There's an option to blur a face out." And guess what I did? I spent five hours working. because okay. There's transitions where the pictures flip. So I had to like really work on the blur following his face. Mm-hmm. And I did it. I blurred them all out and my videos not being taken down. I mean, this is a huge victory for me because that video has helped so many people. And I shared on my Instagram story that this was happening to me and people were losing their shit because they're like, Jennifer, I would have never known about you had I not seen that video. That video means everything to me. You know, these are people right. who are HIV positive people that didn't know anything about HIV people who have lost people to AIDS. Like I know that it's educational. And so it was incredibly selfish as far as I'm concerned for him to ask for that to be taken down. So, but it was again, just a way to, you know, he's unhappy with my decision to end. Right. So I can't believe it, but it's up and it's blurred. And as attorney, I, I don't know. I checked with him like three weeks ago and I haven't heard a thing since I said, look, I did this. And I said, and anytime I mention an Eric, who happens to be the same name as the person who gave it to me. I know it's kind of crazy. So I was married to an Eric and also the Eric who gave it to me is they're both Eric's. Um, I said, if I mention an Eric or a boyfriend or a husband, that's not specifically referring to this person. So I will never (laughs) say his full name again, you know, and he can't, I'm not going to take down a video that referred to a boyfriend. Are you kidding me? So I think at this point, everything's clear. I've removed everything else through my social media that shows any images. And I think we're good now. So I can move forward. And it's fine. He's not in my life now. And it is a past story. And I'm okay with removing anything that really had to do with him. So I'm moving forward.
0: Yeah. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ball game. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole- food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1, is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ball game. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole- Foods- sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1, is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I think it's also so awesome that you show... You know, I've seen videos and pictures of you skateboarding, surfing, just doing all these amazing things. And I Mm -hmm. think that just that imagery in and of itself is so inspiring to people, because, again, I don't think that people when people think of HIV, they don't think of somebody who is thriving, working in education, raising three kids, going surfing, going skateboarding, traveling, doing advocacy work, doing all these amazing things. And I think apart from just the things that you say, you're a living example, which is what I think is so incredible and just like amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really, like, I was learning all of these things kind of prior to my diagnosis because actually, the person that I was married to is the one who got me into all three of those things. Mm-hmm. And so, I was like, I remember having this epiphany at the skate park going, You know, people like are going to be shocked that I look healthy. I said, I want to look my best, I want to try to look as pretty as I can, and I want to show that a woman who's like over 45 who has HIV can do all these things. I wanted to like put that out there for sure to have everyone be confused by it. Like what, what, What? so I was, I'm believe me, I was aware of that. And I've played that up as much as I can, just because I just want to do everything I can to like make people take a double take and be like, I didn't know that that was like even possible, you know? And so, yeah, it's been super fun sharing all of that stuff and having people look at HIV totally differently. I for sure never looked at HIV, in a positive way before I was diagnosed. Of course I thought it was this disgusting virus that, but really all it is, is just another damn virus. We all have viruses living within us right now. All of us do. We have millions of viruses and this one just happens to attack your immune system. That's all it is. And there's medication. I take a dumb pill every day to keep it controlled. It's just how it's contracted. So people think that it's dirty because it's either through needle use, a blood transfusion, which doesn't happen anymore. You know, of course, mothers can give it to their children if they don't have a medication through nursing or through childbirth. It doesn't happen in the womb. Typically it's the birthing process okay? or sex. And so of course sex, you know. God forbid, we're humans. Like we had, there are STDs. This is like life or STIs, they call it now. I mean, you know, most people have herpes. I mean, God forbid you have herpes. It's a freaking skin irritation. Who cares? It's just, well, a- that's what's so
0: interesting is that, and I think with this COVID virus, It must be interesting to you to witness a lot of the stigma that has gone on over the last 18 months with COVID, especially at the beginning when people were so fearful and we didn't know a lot. And you knew that somebody you knew had COVID, it was like, ugh, you know, like get away from Uh, me, boogeyman. And yeah, and it's like, oh, so and so tested positive for COVID. And all of a sudden, everything is about testing positive, and you've got this virus in your body and stay away from me and you don't come near me in the supermarket and
1: you know I mean? totally i remember when the first case kind of came into my town and we heard it was in that apartment complex i remember walking by with my dog going apparently somebody in that
0: apartment complex yeah.
1: has it like like it's crazy how we were thinking <laughs> i know ah so yeah it was nuts but Yeah.
0: The whole world was like dealing with this stigma of like COVID all of a sudden. Yeah. There's stigma with that
1: too. Lots and Mm -hmm. lots. I guess it's just, it's human nature for sure. But
0: But. yeah, that's another misconception is that we all have, we all have viruses in our body. Like for example, a lot of people don't know that if you've ever had mono, you are walking around with the Epstein-Barr virus in your body. Yeah. Yeah. You yep. know, you you cannot donate blood, you know, and the Epstein-Barr virus actually, in a lot of people, mono is actually the infectious, I guess, seroconversion part of the Epstein-Barr virus. I didn't know that. You cannot so donate just... blood if you've had mono, because that means that you have Epstein-Barr in your body and you can give it to somebody and they will then get the infectious part of Epstein-Barr, which is mono. I had no idea. Yeah. And people think that when they're over mono, that they no longer have the virus. No, they they got over the initial infection. The virus is still in the body causing all kinds of little issues throughout your life. Can they still transmit mono once they're better, though? I don't know. I don't think because they used to call it the kissing disease. I don't right. think that you can right. transmit it like that after the infectious part is over. Yeah. But you're you, right. yeah. But you certainly can through your blood.
1: You can yeah. through your blood. That's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. I always thought HIV was the only thing that kept me from donating blood, but yeah. No. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. We can't either. Even when we're undetectable, people have asked, can you donate blood? Nope. And I talked to a professor who's a scientific a uh, researcher up at UCSF. Stephen, I can't remember his last name offhand, but anyways, my doctor had recommended that I contact him because he was going to be at AIDS 2018. And so I've had some emails with this man who's been doing HIV research since the 90s, I'm pretty sure. And he has been so forthcoming. I said, I need to ask you this question about this because I want to talk about it in a video. But I did ask, okay, so I know we can't transmit it sexually, but why is it that we can't give blood? And he said, it's because... If one cell with the virus makes its way into another person's body, and it would only happen through a straight transfusion, it would only happen that way. He said, it's like a Trojan horse. It would take off and it would just do its thing. But with with sex, it's totally different. Like It's hard to understand, but like the HIV virus is not flowing through my free-flowing blood. It's not. It doesn't even detect it. It can't find it. It is literally hidden in a cell that is basically not going to do anything. It can't be transmitted sexually. I can't explain why physiologically, but it is impossible. But for Mm -hmm. blood going in from one person to another, that risk is still there. And they could never say that it's okay for me to give blood sure, because, because of that risk. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So can't, can't do it sexually, but definitely blood. There is a slight possibility. And then people say, well, my God, you're HIV negative. Then you could probably don't people that test HIV negative, even though they have the virus and are undetectable, they could donate blood without anybody knowing. I said, no, because they always test. And you can look on the CDC website. They test for HIV with the antibody test. So I'll always Mm -hmm. have the antibody because my body fought off HIV. So basically it's tested with the antibody test. They look for the antibody. So,
0: right. And I think it's so good to demystify all of this, because even if you bring it back to the COVID situation, if you had COVID, you now have COVID antibodies. If you've gotten vaccinated, you now have COVID antibodies, but it doesn't mean that you are walking around sick or contagious or anything like that. The antibodies simply mean that your body was exposed to this and now has an army, but kind of is prepped or semi-prepped to be able to recognize it should it encounter it again, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and
1: some people who have HIV actually can fight it off. They're called elite controllers, and they're not that common, but there are people that their viral load just doesn't seem to really go anywhere. They kind of stay in a low 1,000 or 3,000. I know somebody that's in my group who kind of stayed at 3,000 for a couple years. They would keep checking the old protocol was wait until it gets up to a certain viral load before you start medication. But now today they just say the the new protocol is you start treatment right away regardless. They don't play with that anymore. But yeah, there are people that actually have controlled it. Of course, people from the 80s. I know plenty of long term survivors who did not have any treatment and they're still here today. Like they it's had amazing. years and years without the right kind of treatment, and somehow they got through it. They were always told they were going to die. Basically, when you got that diagnosis, it was a death sentence back in the 80s. You got two years to live. And especially if you started coughing, like that's it, you know, two years. I mean, gosh, when I was diagnosed, they told me if I had had it back then... I would have been given two to three months to live at the point I was at. I was like that close. Like it wouldn't have lasted a whole lot longer. The way I felt though, <laughs> I felt like I wasn't going to make it through that weekend. Honestly, I was like, every time I went to sleep, I thought, am I going to wake up? I'm, I'm like, going to die in my sleep. I could barely breathe. That was awful. Wow. And I almost did go to the hospital. I was on that borderline of, Is it better just to stay at home and be in my own house and not be around other sick people and get any more other infections or, Mm -hmm. I don't know, passing, you know, I just passed getting through, I almost went to the hospital, but the person I got it from did go to the hospital. He had PCP pneumonia also. And he spent about three days in the hospital trying to get better. So yeah, he had AIDS also. Yeah, it's crazy. And now, like I said, I just interviewed him and I'm really proud of the interview because we reconnected two weeks ago. It wasn't anything I felt I could do while I was with this other person in a relationship. It wouldn't have felt respectful, but I've reconnected with the person that I got it from. And he's, you know, it's kind of crazy. We're connected by this infection now. I mean, we we were joking about it. We joke about it. The infection connection. Yeah, he also you know, I'm the Vaughn vector. And he's like, show I mean, what else can we do at this point? You know, it wasn't intentional. And we're both going to be fine. We're going to live long lives. The most we can do is try to show that we could be light about it. And we don't have to have this negativity towards this virus. You know what it all does? All that negativity and all that, it just gives the virus more power. You know, people mm-hmm. not talking about it gives the virus more power. It's really a fine line. I know there's a lot of people like it doesn't make sense for them to share that they have it because, you know, it's really, they could lose their job. Honestly, you know, employers will find other ways to remove an employee if they find out they have it because they don't understand it.
0: Your situation is interesting. I wanted to ask you about this. No. You've been a substitute teacher for quite some time. Are you still doing that or are you doing something else? Oh, yeah, then? 13 years and I'm actually an after school
1: supervisor at an elementary school. So I'm there about three to four days a week as like their principal. So that's like, I have a decent role there, you know, and I have HIV and most people know it.
0: So do they know about your advocacy work? It's pretty public. Okay. So you've been able to do all this public advocacy work and still, and get all of this support from your employer. Is that a unique situation or is that something that's pretty common for other people that are HIV positive? Do you think? I think most
1: people, the majority of people who are HIV positive do not share their diagnosis with anybody. I'd say it's very rare for anybody to be sharing it with their employer. So I think my situation is unique for sure, but I've had nothing but support. I mean, I work for different schools all the time. I bounce around because I substitute at different schools. So I can't tell you how many people know about it it's not like i go into the office and said hi i'm here for the kinder job and oh i have hiv too just so you know like that will never come up but if people find me through facebook they'll know you know mm-hmm. and i i've worked at the school that i do the after school program at all of my kids have gone through that school and they know the principal knows we've never had a conversation about it. Well, yeah, I was going to Washington DC to USCA when I was subbing for him. And I, you know, he knew what I was doing. I said, I'm doing this advocacy and he understood, but it's never affected my job. And I remember the at-home nurse, I was saying to her, well, what if they get freaked out that I have this and they would fire me? And she says, well, you'd have a lawsuit on your hands. She says, it's illegal. They cannot fire you for this. Mm-hmm. You're, you're at zero risk of or threat to anybody. And I remember funny when I was first diagnosed, just talking about it on Facebook. And one of my neighbors had written and said, you know, as long as I'm sure you're just really safe. If kids had like um, scrape and you were the one to change the bandaid, it was like, that's crazy thinking like they're the ones (laughs) bleeding. Yes. (laughs) And I remember thinking, what is I'm like, and I'm wrapping this around my brain going, wow, this is how people are going to think of me now. And I'm like, this is an impossible. Let's say, let's say I had a cut at the same time this is not how it's transmitted through touching hands or me touching my blood on someone's arm. Like this is not how it's transmitted. It's not transmitted through hands. This is not transmitted through blood flying through the air and landing in someone's mouth. That's not how it's transmitted. The the virus is incredibly weak. It dies. The second oxygen hits it, it dies. It takes a very special set of Mm -hmm. circumstances for it to go from one person's body to another. And I'll tell you, I was with This person for eight months and my seroconversion, I know when I seroconverted, it was like two weeks after he left, which means I got it at the very end. And he was somebody who had it the whole time. I was exposed to him for eight months. I didn't get it till the very end of our relationship. It's very hard to transmit. You kind of have to go out of your way. Yeah. like, And I I even laughed in the interview. I'm like, damn, what were we doing that last week? Like, I think we were kind of like not getting along, but clearly we had sex. (laughs) <laughs> um, I don't know. Did we do something extra special? I don't know, but uh, yeah, I got it that week for sure. I just, I know it because I didn't have any other symptoms while he was there. Two weeks after he left, I had this really bad esophageal pain, like kind of where I felt like where my esophagus meets my stomach. And at the same exact time I had a horrific headache for four days that I just could not explain. So okay. like, looking back, there was nothing prior to that, nothing. So I'm like, that had to have been it, you know? And so like, I always say to people, I was exposed through the most risky sex possible, risky sex, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> with somebody who had a detectable viral load and I was, you know, the receiver. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest about it. We had anal sex too. That is the riskiest sex. So we were doing that on a regular basis as well. And I still didn't get it until the very end of the relationship. So okay. That kind of shows people like, but it doesn't mean it can't happen the first time. It can, you know, right. a, it definitely can, but it just shows that it's not this like, super easy thing to get, you know, and okay. they even say on the CDC says the chance of a woman getting it from a man who's HIV positive is like one out of 1,250 exposures is the possibility. And for a woman to transmit to a man, they say it's one out of 2,500 exposures. And I'm like, who the hell's even had 2,500 sexual, <laughs> 6, times? that's a lot of sex. you know. So I, I always think that's kind of funny, but I do get hetero men that freak out on a constant basis and they just think like like, there's this possibility because they were with a sex worker and I've got all my reasons for believing why that's still very low risk.
0: I do want to just dig in for a minute on the fact that, you know, anecdotally, anecdotal evidence, meaning yourself, the other women that are in your life, it seems like it's much harder for HIV to go from woman to man it's much easier for it to be either man to man or man to woman. And that might be something that makes men feel almost outed in a way, like as if you're saying, oh, you didn't get this from a woman, you must have gotten this from a man, or you must have been using needles, or you must, you must have been doing something that you weren't supposed to be doing. You didn't just get it from sleeping with women, you know? So it, I think that, That statement is, it's a loaded statement because it could make men feel defensive, vilified, you know, like even certain high profile men, for example, who are HIV positive, who are purportedly heterosexual, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like, you know, what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) I think we're the scapegoat. I know it's controversial, but it really pisses
1: me off because I think it's so much easier to blame it on a woman than really share what you're doing behind closed doors. I think there's a lot of hetero men that live bisexual lifestyles. I think it's super common. I don't think it's talked about at all. There's a lot of men on the down low and -hmm. it doesn't mean they're gay. That's the other thing is there's so much fluidity with sexuality. And I really believe that there's a lot of men. There's a guy that I follow on TikTok, a psychologist who talks about this. Men may want to try many different things that they want to do sexually that a woman is not comfortable with, but they know they can do it with another man. And then there's no relationship shit they have to deal with. They just want the act done. And so I've learned a lot about that, that there are, you know, men could be going out to get some bread and eggs at the store, but they could be stopping at Vista Point real quick to do something also. So right. I do believe for sure that there's a lot of things that women do not understand about men and their sex drive, and they might do things that you would never expect them to be doing. And I think, and statistically it shows even the CDC, if you look who has HIV, they don't even have a category for hetero men. It is super uncommon. Plus physiologically, we literally, it's almost impossible. How are we going to put it in their bloodstream? This doesn't go through skin. Like skin is a protective barrier. So I understand why women barely can transmit this. And we're the opposite. We're the receivers. We have two holes, you know, of course we're at more high risk. So, you know, it's a frustrating topic for me because I will have every once in a while, a woman who will have a positive husband and she's like, there's no way he did that. And maybe he was one that it was just the really odd, situation where it kind of happened. I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's impossible, but I think it's really not the norm. And I really, statistically, it shows. And like I say, when I go to these conferences, if this was affecting hetero men, where are the sessions for the hetero men? There's nothing. They're never talked about. Not once, nothing. Unless you got it through drugs, then Mm -hmm. it's kind of acceptable to be a hetero man with it, or you were born with it. But other than that, and like I say, I go to these sessions and it's a, I mean, I say it jokingly but it's a gigantic gay fest I stand out like I'm like (laughs) millions not millions but like you know hundreds and hundreds of gay men very obvious gay men and they're lovely men I have a great time going to these events but it's not a hetero affair at all it's women of color and it's many gay men and it's like there's a smattering of white women and I just kind of feel like we're the ones that were affected by it my ex now ex would say he goes you're the victims He goes straight up, Mm. you're the victims. It stops with you guys. You guys get it from men who are not being honest. Wow. And in some ways I agree with that, you know, and I see it through my advocacy. I see these women who are with husbands that they didn't know were doing. I do see the same story over and over again. And every once in a while I'll get the hetero man who will, he won't let it go that it definitely happened with a woman and they're okay. (laughs) Maybe from what I see anecdotally, it's not happening that way. It's not to be. To throw a finger at anybody, it's not to like say the gay community, you know anything bad against the gay community. It's just physiologically how it happens, and it is typically anal sex. so well, what about a woman giving it to a man through anal sex? It's like it's the receptive partner who's ever how, how
0: would a woman give it to a man through? Anal- oh, I see what they're yeah. saying, but no, and yeah, even, like if a woman's on her
1: period, they say, but what if she's on her period? I'm like okay, but you still have a penis. You've got this amazing tool that really isn't going to pick much up except for skin to skin and gonorrhea, chlamydia, all those. But HIV is very specific. It has to reach your bloodstream. Like this is a big deal. It takes a very perfect storm for it to go from one person to another. And I just, from what I see, so yeah, I have a lot of women in my group that are like really, there's some anger there for sure. And we're not noticed in the community, which we get too, because we're such a small part of it but it's not about us so much. We feel a little bit lost in all of it, but we have each other.
0: So it's okay. Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any advocacy, speaking engagements, projects, anything coming up right now?
1: No, I do a lot of podcasts with people and that type of thing, but no, I don't. I always want to, but I Mm -hmm. feel like the only way to really get that going is to have a book. And if you don't have a book, I don't know, people don't seem as interested. I guess it makes you more valuable, but writing a book is really exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I just don't have the time and energy for it. I've tried to put, you know, I've typed about 30 pages and I just, I give up. I'm not really sure like where I'm going with the process. Is somebody really going to pick this up? Am I going to make money from this or am I going to end up spending money, you know, doing this? So I always kind of just get, I just give it up. And then I'm like, you know, it's easier to talk in a video on YouTube or on my podcast and it's faster and. I have control of that. And so that's why I kind of do that, but no, I ha- I don't have any and I would love
0: to have more for sure. Okay. I Love it. Yeah. So you now are divorced yeah. and you're now in the dating world with HIV, which is much different than kind of being in the safe confines of a marriage with HIV. So you're now like on the dating apps and all of that. Yep. So tell me what you have learned from this kind of like looking for a relationship quasi experiment. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was in a very protective bubble for five years and I could see why people would be kind of like annoyed with me thinking, God, she thinks this is so easy. She hasn't even had to deal with that disclosure. And so like, part of me is like, I am excited about being in this. And this is so weird, but I am excited about being ghosted because now I get to see how it feels. Mm -hmm. And I think living this experience is only going to help my advocacy. So yeah, I kind of like little experiment. There was two different men that I spoke to. I don't really care. I hadn't met them in person, but they were two that I connected with and was, we were definitely flirting and stuff. And I, at one point, you know, they're two different stories. I shared them both on my podcast, which is called don't stop me now. They both basically were like, I just, you know what I thought is that if I give them my name and they look me up on Google and they see all of this advocacy and they will be like, Wow, this is so cool. She literally talks about it publicly, so there's obviously nothing to be afraid of or ashamed of because she otherwise she wouldn't be doing it. That's what I was hoping would happen if I shared my advocacy and it didn't work. Both of these men politely exited the conversation with a "Wow, this is a lot and I'm not okay with this. You know, I really wish you well. Thank you for sharing that with me, but I'm going to politely bow out." And I was like Oh, okay. Well, you didn't even give it a chance. Like if you understood, and I tried to explain you equals you, but that's like, I told them in my podcast is it's like they're running away with their fingers in their ears. La la la, la, la. I do not hear you. Yeah. And like, well, it's a really a shame that you felt attracted to me. And now that you have this information, you're going with stigma from the eighties. There was one, he was too young for me. He was 34 and I actually didn't end up meeting him. He was fine with it. And I just got a little weirded out and I just decided not to meet him because I thought he was just too young. And I ended up, having a couple of dates with somebody that I had gone out with prior to my diagnosis while I was positive, but didn't know it. He was somebody I had to contact and say, Hey, I was diagnosed. He was a firefighter paramedic. He understood the chances of a woman transmitting. He was never worried. He did get tested. Of course, he was negative. So, we had a couple of dates that he didn't care about my diagnosis. So, yeah, he's somebody that I actually did have sex with twice, but we're not. I don't know. For whatever reason, he's a little flaky. So, I have a date tonight with somebody uh, who does not know my diagnosis. We went surfing about two weeks ago and we're meeting for a drink tonight. And I won't share anything unless I feel like this could go a step further. Of course, you know, I'm not going to not say something because I technically I don't have to in the state of California. If I'm undetectable, I don't have to say anything, but it's all over my social media. So of course I'm going to say something, but no, I'm not going to say anything unless it seems like there might be something that could go further right now. I think it's yeah. very friend, friend zoney. So I'm not going to say anything yet.
0: So that's what's so interesting too. Cause I was thinking about this and I'm like, when you're on a dating app, people don't necessarily have a vested interest in you, right? You're just like a picture and a few pieces of dialogue on an app. And it's so easy to just be like unmatched. You know, I don't know you, you don't know me, like whatever. So then it's almost like that's not the right time to disclose something like that. But then if you were to disclose it on a first date, you don't know how that person's going to react and who knows if it's even going to be a safe situation. And then I was thinking, I'm like, if I were in those shoes, I think the way I would handle it is I would tell whoever I was speaking to that it was important to me to build a friendship before anything becoming romantic. And I would wait until a solid friendship was created. And then I would say that because then I feel like they, they know me as like a full holistic totally. human being. Totally. They have you know to know what I'm me saying? first now. Yeah. The- it didn't work
1: telling somebody ahead of time i really thought it was going to go over well it did not and i thought you know and so now i'm realizing what they took in their mind is they're like i'm on tinder and i just found the dirtiest girl on tinder and oh my god i've got to run the other way she's got hiv holy shit, this app is what everybody says it's like the whores are on here so that's of course how i realize wow. now that that's what they've thought they're like i got the dirtiest of all the dirty girls on here she's got hiv so Which like, by yeah. the way,
0: how fucked up is that word? Dirty.
1: <laughs> I know. That's awful. <laughs> Super awful. Yeah. Like yeah. I've done a video on like what's happening in my body. So most people think it's HIV when literally it's this big and mm. it's nowhere even in my bloodstream. So it's crazy that I know people still think it's surging throughout my body, but it's really not. So then, yeah, this other person, I don't know how he'll take it. If I end up telling him, he's really nice and level-headed. But yeah, it's a bomb to have to drop on somebody. Like, hey, I got to tell you, but I would really prefer that somebody gets to know me better. We surf together. He can see I'm healthy. I know how to surf. You know, we had a great time, and you know, we've had a good time going back and forth talking. You know, every couple of days, and he knows I'm a mother of three. I just need him to see me as a human first. As a human and, first, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then if he's okay and he sees like. It might be confusing at first. I keep thinking, what's the best way to share this? Say, you know, there's something I've got to share with you that's going to probably scare you. And I'm glad that you know me more now, but I need to share a little something about you that honestly will not affect you at all. But you need to understand that there's something that comes with me. And the other part is that it's not just my diagnosis. I advocate for it. So like, if you want to be in a relationship with me, your mom might see my advocacy and your kids might see it. And the people you work with might, now you're associated with a girl with HIV and that could affect you. So (laughs) I'm not secretive about it in any way. It's easy to find me. So if we're connected through your social media, anybody that you know can find it and they might treat you differently. So it affects anybody that I'm with. So when everyone says, well, just date somebody who has HIV. And I'm like, well, there is that too. But most of the people that are men or HIV positive are, you know, bisexual or, or have a drug problems. So it's like, well, right. So the pool this. is like really, just yeah, like super Small. narrow. And I'm already 51. It's like, I mean, my God, the dating pool
0: is already super narrow at my age. And I'm yeah. very, I'm very, you're 51 and like in super insane, amazing shape, by the oh, way. Thanks. God. Thank I don't you. know what you do, but <laughs> Nothing anymore. I used to be really active.
1: I just surf sometimes. But yeah, I'm not I don't do much of anything anymore. But yeah, I'm really, really picky. I've always had a high standard for the men that I want to be with. And if they don't meet it, then I'd rather be alone. I just, they've got to be yeah. kind of hot still, you know? So yeah, I'm really picky. So I know my choices are super narrowed as it is. And then, yeah. you know, I'm not going to go to an HIV dating site just because I have HIV. I'm not giving the virus that kind of power over my life. Fuck that. I'm like, I want to still have the same odds as anybody who doesn't have HIV. So, and
0: if it's interesting, the it, then, you know, then okay. he's not, he's not man for me. So, just to like bring this conversation full circle. Yeah. The interview that I did a couple days ago was with the singer Jewel. Oh my God. Yeah. And wow. uh, I (laughs) love her. Yeah. Love her. She said something that resonated with me and it's one of those things I'll never forget. And it applies here so well. Oh, she grew up, you know, her mom was not really in her day-to-day life. Her father was a Vietnam vet with PTSD and an alcohol issue. So she had like a really rough childhood. They lived in poverty. It was really tough. And so she did develop some mental health issues in her adult life, even as she was becoming super successful. And she said, since energy cannot be destroyed, if you look at like just the physics of it, energy cannot be created or destroyed but you can take the energy and transmute it into something positive and beautiful.
1: Hmm. Totally.
0: Yeah. And you're a living example of that. You took something that, and you transmuted it into something powerful. Ah, uh, so, and I think everybody should know about your platform because whether they are directly affected by HIV or whether they just want to educate themselves, which yeah. everybody should be educated about this. So I just want to go over all your platforms. Oh, Um, so your podcast is the Don't Stop Me Now podcast. Yes.
1: Taken from the Queen song, of course. Homage to Freddie, of course. Right. (laughs) Can't use the song at all. But yeah, that name came up in my head. It just was like a light bulb one day. I'm like, that's it. That's the name of it. Don't stop me now. Yeah. Yeah. And then on YouTube, should people just type in Jennifer Vaughn? they can even put Jennifer HIV just to make it easier and it will
0: come up. Jennifer HIV. Yeah, and you'll yeah. see the most incredible videos of Aww. Jennifer's story and just how empowered she is. So all my podcasts
1: actually are on my YouTube channel. They come up there as well, but okay, I, cool. Yeah. So they're there. And I I'm on TikTok too. That's actually that platform's been taken off and those videos are crazy like you do a TikTok and they make it go viral and I mean, I had a video Two have gone. I've had two videos that hit a million views in like a few days. Like, what? This wow. is a, it's an unreal platform, honestly. It's like these little videos, these little vignettes that you do. Um, if they put it in their algorithm, it's amazing how many people you can educate. And, you know, it, it's unreal. And then I've done some lives on TikTok. And when I got off after like an hour, it said that 16,000 people had joined my. I'm like, what? this is crazy. I mean, I go on YouTube and I do a live and I might get 150 people mm-hmm. TikTok is a different animal. It, it yeah, so many people. And so, you know, I'll go on there for a couple hours and I just answer the same questions over and over. It's like, I'm filibustering like as many people as I can get this information to. <laughs> the better, you know, and I just, it makes me feel so good. You know, and I've let Bruce Richmond know, I'm like, dude, like I just talked for like three hours on TikTok and I can't tell you how many people I told about you equals you and, you know, and yeah, it's a great platform. So that's just my name also on there. Okay.
0: Jennifer. Jennifer My
1: Instagram is Jennifer Vaughn. It's at Jennifer Vaughn HIV and uh, all of the links to everything is they're all listed usually like under my podcast and everything. Okay.
0: Okay, yeah. cool. I have to say it was an honor to speak to you. Like I said, I've been watching your stuff for so long. You've educated me to the oh. point where I just understand it so much more and I see it so differently. And yeah. so you definitely reached one girl right oh, here. And I'm awesome. sure many, many people.
1: Thank and you.
0: You'll continue thank to reach many people. So thank you so um, much. And I'm excited for this to come out. And me I will too. Yeah. Anyway, thank
1: you so much for reaching out to me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Of I always course. try to do as many of these as I can. Thank you for um, working with my schedule too. Yeah. Yes,
0: absolutely. It was worth it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This worked right. out really well.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Allison. Bye. I'll talk to you. All right. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye okay so what did you guys think i really really hope that you listened to this interview with jennifer with an open heart an open mind and really wanting to educate yourself wanting to put stigma aside and hear good information accurate information and really take in her story because you know what it's a human story She's a person, she's a single mom, she's a teacher, (laughs) you know, she's athletic, she's cool, she's funny, and she happens to live with HIV, which really does not affect her day-to-day life other than the fact that she does take a medication every day, and you know what? I've got the girl beat because I take two medications every day, so how about that, you know? I take Paxil for anxiety, and I take Pepsid AC for my acid reflux from my hiatal hernia, which I was blessed with from my pregnancy with my son. Thank you very much. So the bottom line is, you know, like we're all dealing with something and this girl is just, she is the 21st century advocate for HIV education. I truly do believe that. I think her platform is just gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger. She does speaking engagements all over the world. Her YouTube has really blown up. Her TikTok is blowing up and her podcast, Don't Stop Me Now, Please look for it on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. She does incredible interviews. The girl really gives me a run for my money. (laughs) Yeah, she's a great interviewer. She also does just some great commentary. I love her podcast. I listen to it every week. And yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this and I hope that you share it maybe with somebody who is dealing directly with HIV or even just to educate your friends, colleagues, acquaintances, family, whoever, because that's what this is all about, right? So anyway, if you like this, please subscribe to my podcast. Please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Let me know which episodes you're really digging, and I will catch you on the next one. Peace.